0: That's 919 860 9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah.
1: Investments offered through SFA Inc., investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc., and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities.
2: Hello,
1: North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Well, good
3: evening, North Carolina, and thanks to all of our listeners in the Triangle and... All the way to Greensboro, to Wilmington. Thank you for joining us on Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680
2: WPTF. And this is Linda Lewis.
1: And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
1: And we're here to answer your financial questions tonight. Call us about any financial question you've got concerning your money matter, and we will address it.
2: That's right. Some of those topics might be cash flow planning, tax planning, Retirement planning, estate planning, education costs, analysis on your insurance, and investments. Call us about anything tonight. That's what we're here for. So, what is new in the world of investment planning? Well, I saw something interesting this weekend. There was an article that talked about um, some funds that I thought, well, you know, they're sort of obscure. They're called managed payout funds. And the article did did a good job bringing it up but left me with a lot of questions. How about you, Linda?
3: Yeah, I read the article, but I wasn't sure or I wasn't exactly clear about how these work or what they are.
1: Yeah, the, the story is like this, and it's not anything new that investors go through accumulation phases in their life, and then comes time they want to start taking money out of their investments. And so mutual fund firms help investors throughout the years, but they're still trying to find the right formula for investors to draw down those savings. Uh, we're seeing products that are aimed at workers preparing for retirement or retirees looking for steady income. And instead of getting like a lump sum, here's a hunk of money and now it's yours, do what you want with it. And of course, we know there are things like annuities and there, there are various uh, target date funds, but these managed payout funds are somewhat of a newer version. And a newer
2: version of automating the investment uh, depletion or taking the money from the fund? Is is that what it's designed to do?
1: Yes, yes, and yes. That's okay. the whole thing, Deborah. All right. Because the latest products that we're seeing, and they are being brought out by some major companies, Franklin Templeton, Charles Schwab, uh, other companies are, are coming out, and they're joining an earlier generation of Funds, which were also managed payout funds, the managed payout funds, though, have struggled. They've struggled to gain uh, a lot of acceptance, and it's not really clear yet whether these new products are going to prove any more appealing to retirees than the last set of managed payout funds came in. Uh, they're just uh, they're they're struggling. That's okay. what they're doing. They're struggling to see if they can come up with a formula.
2: True. I think that's why there's there's a lot of. Um uh, maybe techniques that are out there. They're trying to give retirees a way to take money from the accumulated investments. But bottom line, what we always come back to is any rule of thumb is not going to apply to you. You really have to meet with a certified financial planner. That is Because true. even these managed payout products, they typically work um, differently. Uh, and Matter of fact, they work as their opposite Of a a target date fund where they where they would have a mix of stocks, bonds, and other assets, and then adjust those proportions to become more conservative as you you know were ready getting ready to retire. Here they uh, work differently. So you would take they would by taking the lump sum, they would invest it for you in a way that would allow for a reliable stream of income to flow back. Out to you over a period of time, um, and I'm guessing you would you would tell them how long you'd want that time period.
1: Well, it's, it's if you think about it, the concept can be appealing to investors who are hesitant to buy annuities. Mm-hmm. And of course, we for many years now on this program have alerted investors to watch out for annuities because annuities are pitched, and I'll use that term quite uh, cautiously because there's a sales pitch. That goes behind the sale of an annuity, which makes it look like you're getting a nice guaranteed stream of income, but without letting you know that you give up your principal. Or to say it another way, you give up all of your chickens in exchange for the eggs from those chickens. The insurance company keeps the chickens, if you will. That's an annuity. And so investors who are hesitant about annuities are are liking this type of investment because it also gives you a steady income. It's not guaranteed, but it is steady. Uh, And you don't have to give up control of the lump sum. You can go ahead and stop it whenever you want. Uh, But there are drawbacks to these types of of investments. What are those drawbacks? Well, the payouts, of course, as I said, are not guaranteed. So the investor then could see the stream of income fluctuate. And then you have the matter of the investor's lump sum. Where, Where is the money being invested? Well, it's it's going into a mix of mutual funds and ETFs selected based on when the investor retires or wants to retire, and whether he wants to get out four percent or five percent over a period of time, say thirty years and so on. The then the investment itself, the the investments that are in these uh, these fund of funds, if you will, the portfolios start out very conservatively in the early years, then they increase. Uh, with more stocks, more alternative assets. And then in the later years, uh, they're going to go more into the very conservative things. And then the other thing that I don't like about them is they're very expensive. You know, the minimum investment in one of the companies that was uh, that's getting a lot of publicity these days is $100,000. And there's a 1% annual fee. Now, 1%, that's a lot on $100,000. I mean... Uh, that is very, very heavy. So, to me, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to avoid using a true certified financial planner and advisor. Because this is exactly what we do in our office, isn't right, it? Right, right. We take a client's portfolio. We see maybe maybe we've got a million-dollar portfolio, and uh, we start with not How long is it going to last? Well, what do we start with, Deborah?
2: Living expenses. The living expenses. What's the need? Right, right. You know, and I I often um, uh, think about this is that, you know, garbage in is garbage out because if we're trying to hit a target of a percentage, we'll never know if we're taking out the right amount of income, which is coming from the retirement plans, to meet our living expense needs. If we have a running Uh, evaluation or analysis of our living expenses, we know how much income we need from our portfolio. It might be that our portfolio is large enough and we only need 1%. Why
1: take out four? And not only so, the living expense need will vary from year to year. Nobody's needs stay frozen and so forth. You might do more vacations
3: and then you might pay for college expenses, but it varies. And so that's why it is important to work with a fee-based financial planning firm with a certified financial planner that can address your specific question, that's, uh, questions and situation.
1: That's what we do, and that's what we do all day long, all year long, year after year. We've been doing it for over 33 years here for investors in the uh, Research Triangle Park and the Eastern North Carolina. So call us. Call us at the office if you want to schedule an appointment. Yeah. The office number is 919 919- 8727000 that's also known as USA 7000 Terry this is Doug Lewis certified financial planner how can i help you
4: i was interested in finding out what you think about if you had several different retirement accounts combining them all together and turning them over to companies that manage retirement investments or any kind of investments for you. Of course, they do it for a fee, and I just don't know anything about it, but it's been suggested to me that that's what I ought to do.
1: How old are you, Terry? I'm 46. You married a single? Married. And uh, how old your husband? 47. What's your income? About $100,000. right. And what's his income? Oh, no. Together. I'm sorry. Oh, it's combined income? Yes. Okay. Combined income, about 100000 Uh Do you know what your expenses are? Your living expenses are running.
4: They're probably running about eighty to ninety.
1: All right, so you're spending most of what you're. Well, matter of fact, that doesn't even leave enough to pay for taxes.
4: Well, just enough to pay for taxes, and we have a retirement account that was funded through our business.
1: You own your own business? We have our own corporation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Small business. All right. So now, what type of retirement plan do you have right now?
4: SEP IRAs in mm-hmm. about six or eight different ones.
1: You've got six or eight SEPs. Mm-hmm. And what's the combined value of all of them?
4: Probably about 125000
1: 125000 Have you been able to fund it to the max in the past years? Yes. What types of SEP IRA investments is it in now?
4: It's in mutual funds.
1: Individual mutual funds?
4: Individual mutual
1: funds. So you have a SEP account with one mutual fund and a SEP account with another mutual fund. Is is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. All right. And you also have both SEPs because you have one for you and one for your husband? That is correct. All right. Are you both employees or is one the... We are both employees. All right. What about the other employees? The business does it for them. The All business right. does it for everybody. Okay. Now, you and your husband, then, you cannot combine your SEP IRA accounts with his.
4: No, that is correct. Oh, 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 I understand that. Yeah, I understand that. All right. But, I mean, like I could combine my six or eight and his six or eight can be combined.
1: Yes. About how much is in yours and how much is in his?
4: Oh, I'd say the difference, probably 80 and 40, A- 85 and 40, something like that.
1: All right. About 85 is is his and about 40 is yours? Right. Okay. Okay. First of all, your money should be rolled over and combined, yes, into one SEP IRA account. He should have his 85000 with one trustee, and you should have your 40000 with another trustee. Okay. That does not necessarily mean, however, that you should give up mutual funds and give it to a money manager. Right. The problem gets bigger and bigger as the years go on about keeping the record keeping. So right. You want the trustee to be one where you're getting one consolidated statement, especially when you start wanting to go ahead and make withdrawals. Also, to move money. If you were to move it from one trustee to another trustee, you have to do a trustee-to-trustee transfer. And you can do that as many times as you want during the year, but they usually surrender penalties to come away from one trustee to another. So, yes, you should be in one trustee.
4: But this thing about putting all your eggs in one basket, if you put it all with that particular fund...
1: I'm not recommending. I definitely don't think you should do that. Okay. You should never have all of your money in any one fund. Okay. You need an asset allocation pattern. But what I'm trying to explain to you is don't confuse the chicken house with the chicken. You just asked me, should all of your chickens be in one chicken house? The answer is yes. Okay. But you don't want to have one big giant fat chicken and a bunch of little tiny chickens. You want all your chickens to be relatively the same size. Right. Your chickens are the investments. So if he's got $85,000... And this year he's gonna put in another twenty two five, that's gonna be a hundred thousand dollars. I'd maybe have that spread over five twenties or four twenty fives. You see, see what I
3: mean? See so your chicken house is like your trustee. Right. So you would have one trustee instead of having six or eight trustees, right? Right. And there are such animals out there as as independent trust companies. They
1: could also, that's a very good point, Linda. She could have an independent trust company. Hers is small enough to where she might go with one custodial. It's a $10 fee instead of $40. Right, right. Going to an independent trust company will let you go across different families of funds and still have it with one trustee.
3: Right, okay. Okay.
1: But, I don't think you should go into a money manager's hands. I think that you should stay with the mutual funds, but you should have an asset allocation pattern. You should check, you should select the mutual funds with the help of a financial planner. You should develop an asset allocation pattern saying how much money should be equally spread amongst different investments so you don't have all your eggs in any one basket
3: right. okay. And if we can be of any assistance, you can call me at the office in Raleigh that number is nine one nine. Eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. All right then. Well, I thank you very much. Well,
1: thank sure you for Wilson. calling,
3: Terry. Okay. All right, take care.
1: And I guess I forgot to answer the part of your question, Terry, about fees. Yes, you should be willing to pay a fee because you want a person such as myself or such as Deborah, a certified financial planner, who is actually under your fee control, where you're paying the fee for the advice and how to continue putting this together according to the asset allocation model. So as you go forward in life, you can achieve financial independence, which is your ultimate goal. For a consultation
5: with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
3: What else is new in the world of investment planning?
2: Well, investment planning, um, there's, let's see, mutual funds, and a lot of people might be evaluating how theirs did. So the, it brings up the question, when should you sell a lagging fund? What if you're
1: unhappy with your returns? Let, let me bring it this, uh, the subject then back to uh, a very uh, popular subject on this program, the difference between active and passive management. Okay. Now, of course... Those of us that know the investment world and those of our listeners that read the Wall Street Journal and other financial news play, uh, newsletters are very aware of this debate, active versus passive, active versus passive. Uh, do you want mutual funds that are passive funds or do you want actively managed funds? And passive funds are... What are passive funds, Deborah? Uh, Index funds. Index funds, generally, and ETFs. Those Those are ones where the manager is not actively involved in trying to beat an index, but just rides with the index. Well, right now, the opposite of passive, the active funds, over half of all actively managed funds are beating their benchmarks this year, according to Morningstar. And that's very rare. And so now, all of a sudden, the question is... Well, what do you do if you're actively managed fund, which is beating the indexes, is still underperforming other active managed funds. In other words, when do you sell? When do you get out of the fund? You have questions. The Lewis's
5: have answers. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: You know, it's, uh, it's sort of interesting. Investors have roughly $120 billion uh, that have gone into actively managed funds recently. That means there's a broad array of investors wondering whether to go ahead and bail out because many of those are underperforming. Uh, of course, you, if, you're, if you're having faith in the manager, then you're just sort of having faith that the tide will turn.
2: Right, but a big caution would be: I mean, while selling might stop the pain, it could be an un it could be an unwise decision because you could just be chasing performance, and by throwing and that's just like throwing money at the latest hot fund. So it's just as bad to sell a fund based on poor performance than it is, um, you know, just trying to chase returns.
1: Yeah, there are a few questions that you can ask, however. Okay. Uh, questions, tough questions. Questions like, why did you originally buy the fund? Does the fund's investment philosophy still make sense to you? And does either past or recent performance provide any reason for hope that things are going to turn around?
2: Well, those are good questions. So there can be a lot of things that you need to investigate, that you need to meet with a certified financial planner and find out whether or not the fund and why you went into it to begin with is still, is still um, what the manager's focus
1: is. Well, I think there's, there are a couple of takeaways here. The takeaway, for investors at least, is don't rush to dump a fund that's lagging just because your timing could be off and the fund may still fit your investment needs. But if you're going to invest in actively managed funds, you need to be prepared to spend the time and the effort to evaluate them. And, of course, that brings us back to, well, what do we do at Lewis Financial Management with our clients' portfolios.
2: Well, Doug, tell us a little bit more about what active management is. What's the difference between active management at
1: our firm? All right, I think that's an important understanding. There is active management, which is the opposite of passive management. In other words, a mutual fund either has a group of stocks or bonds sort of designed to... to be like an index, and the manager does very little in trying to beat the index. He tries just to keep smoothing the amount of one stock versus another, so it always looks like the same ratio of the uh, of the index. That's an you know, that's an uh, passive fund. However, active funds are funds whose managers are actively trying to always beat an index. And then we come to how do they do it? Well, how do they do it? Well, there are two ways. There are two ways of active management. One is at the company level research. This is a fundamental approach where we're, where the manager is researching each individual company or each individual stock of a company and making his decisions based on what his research says. And another is another type of active management is technical analysis, whether they feel that the stock's uh, P-E ratio is too high, whether it's, uh, there are other indicators that are saying uh, there's a danger we should get rid of this stock and so forth that's a technical analysis versus a fundamental research-based analysis now that's the difference between active management and the two kinds of active management
5: thinking about your financial future have questions and need answers call lewis financial management for a consultation with doug or deborah lewis at
1: 919-872-7000
5: that's 919 919- USA, 7,000.
1: At Lewis Financial Management, we really are not very much in favor of technical analysis. We uh, we really don't like...
2: Alphas and betas and... Well,
1: we just... That's right, Linda. They're, they're, yeah, they're, we
2: don't want to know where the stock is going to be in 12 months. We want to know where the company is going to be in 12 months.
1: That's right. And right. even more so, we want to know that our managers are making the decisions along those lines along the research on the particular company. You might think of Warren Buffett's. Mm-hmm. We want we want our investors to have their money sort of spread over uh, a number of different Warren Buffett's. Uh, now, that's active management. What do we do at Lewis Financial Management once we have selected mutual funds that are actively managed according to fundamental research? Then we add on the active advice to it. And the active advice is sort of the way that we design the portfolios for our investors. We're always focusing on reducing your risk. So if you still like the manager and the manager has a satisfactory 10-year average, then we're going to say, let's keep this fund. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if the average the last 10 years has... Uh, dropped below what we consider acceptable. Or something has
2: changed in the manager's style. Very good. The focus on that fund, it may not fit us anymore.
1: Or the manager has left. Oh, that's a good one.
2: Exactly. That's really a big... So
1: those are the reasons that we would say to sell the fund and get out of it. So we add active advice to active management and this is this is the way we approach the issue. We never make sure we never never let the client have to do that. That's right, not right. Right, right. And Doug,
3: is that sometimes in uh, versus what some folks uh, do in using ETFs with passive?
1: That's right. ETFs are another another vehicle, which is basically a passive vehicle. You're not looking at the individual stocks or the manager inside the fund, the fund is really trading as a stock. It's an exchange-traded fund, so it's moving up and down itself, and people are buying and selling ETFs, and now you're in another world. This is not for financial planning the way we practice it at Lewis Financial Management.
3: So active management and active advice, that is what we offer at Lewis Financial Management. LLC in Raleigh, North Carolina. And if you're listening this evening, thank you for joining us. And you're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF.
5: Thinking about your financial future. Do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000.
3: Well, Doug uh, and Deborah. What is new in the world of, uh, I guess you'd
2: call it cash flow planning, cash flow yeah, and cash, retirement planning? Cash flow, I guess more maybe the sale of a business, Those, um, those calls that we get so much about. You know, how do I sell a business? You know, North Carolina is a great state
3: for small business owners, but what about the end? So when you want to sell a business, what do you do? Sometimes, I I think that business owners don't realize how powerful a charitable trust is as a technique to reduce the taxes on the sale of a family
1: business. Yeah, it really is an issue that I think has escaped the majority of the small business owners in North Carolina. Okay, let's just take a client tonight. We'll call this client John, John and. We know John actually was one who did call to discuss the sale of his family business. So we'll take John. He's now 65 years old. He and his wife, Betty, they're the sole owners of, let's call it, Jones Company. They're looking for an exit strategy. They expect to sell Jones Company for $12 million. But because John and Betty have little invested in Jones Company, their accountant has estimated their taxes from this sale are going to be about Three million dollars
2: wow that would be hefty so if John and Betty are good examples of all of this um, wealth transfer that is occurring in the baby boom generation as it ages many boomers probably are asking themselves some of these questions Doug and Linda and what they're probably concerned with is well how do I how do I get around this inevitable tax
1: Yeah, the exit strategy for the family business is something that is not focused on until, unfortunately, until it's right ready to happen. But a charitable trust actually can eliminate the taxes on the sale of a business, can create a current tax deduction, and also provide a business owner with income for life.
2: Well, that sounds great. So, Doug, how do you successfully sell a business using a charitable trust?
1: All right, I'm going to say that there are eight steps, eight steps to make it happen. Number one step is design the trust. You have to define the trust type, who is the trustee, who are the beneficiaries, what's the payout rate, and how long you want the trust to last.
2: Well, you just named a lot of things I'm sure most people are saying. What do those things mean?
1: Okay, well, there's different types of charitable trusts. And then the trustee is the person who's going to run the trust. So you have to find out, do you want it to be yourself, your spouse, or a bank, or someone else? The beneficiary is who is going to be paid by the trustee. The payout rate is how much and how long do you want it to last. So you have to design the trust and get all those pieces in the design. That's step one. Okay, step two. Well, step two is to draft and execute the legal trust agreement. Okay. That's simple Simple enough. Simple enough. Three. Now you have to determine the amount of company stock that you want to transfer to the trust. You can transfer all of it and save all of the taxes, part of it, and save part of the taxes. You can do whatever you want. So step three is to determine the amount of the company stock to transfer to the trust. Okay. Four. Okay, now you transfer the company stock on the records of the corporation. All right, and five. Now you're going to sell the company stock tax-free.
2: Wow, that sounds great.
1: You just save 100% (laughs) of all the taxes.
2: (laughs) Okay, so now you've probably interested a lot of listeners out there.
1: Six. Now you need to obtain a qualified appraisal of the amount of stock that you contributed to your trust. So you know how much charitable deduction you're going to get.
2: Oh, well, isn't that nice? I get a charitable deduction. I sell my business tax-free. This sounds great. What's step number seven?
1: Step seven is to hire a competent administrator to make sure your trust works just right with the IRS rules for the rest of your life.
2: Okay. And then eight, what should I do last?
1: I'd say sit on the beach and collect all the checks that are coming, these income checks, for the rest of your life. Okay. And that's it. Those are the eight (laughs)
2: steps. (laughs) All right. Well, there's a lot of stuff in there that is um, complex, complicated, and probably needs to be handled by a real expert in this area.
1: You see, the moral of the story is that a charitable trust plan can be a powerful component of a comprehensive business exit strategy. However, this does require specialized knowledge and skill. It's something that's not known very much uh, by many small business owners. So who can do these things? Well, that's what we've been doing at Lewis Financial Management. We have been doing these for year after year after year, going through all those eight steps. And that's exactly the way that a small business owner can have his cake and eat it too, sell the business, pay no taxes, and get an income stream for life. Well,
2: it sounds great. If this is your scenario, give us a call tonight. If they had sold the stock without the benefit of the trust...
1: You're talking about John and Betty? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, John and Betty, their story turned out... Really interestingly, because based on our discussions, they transferred twenty percent of Jones' company. Yeah. Not the whole twelve million. They okay. transferred twenty percent, which is about two point four million to the trust. If they had sold the stock that they had transferred without the benefit of the trust, yeah, then the tax on that amount would have been almost six hundred thousand dollars. Wow. But they got engaged uh a strong appraiser to value the amount they tra- that they transfer it in. They then got a current income tax deduction of $640,000, which saved them almost $200,000 in taxes. And then John and Betty chose to receive an income stream of 6%, which meant that their first year's distribution is $114,000 from their charitable trust. And life goes on for the rest of their life, just wow. like that. Wow,
2: a real, a real way, a real practical way for a small business owner who wants to sell his business, get out of the business, create an income stream, and um, and and get the reward back from having that lifetime of uh, being a small business owner.
1: We've seen it with farmers. We've seen it with entrepreneurs. We've seen it with many types of business owners through the years. But and we've I think seen
3: it with appreciated
1: stock. We've seen it with appreciated stock. We've seen it in many cases where people just don't know that it is a very viable tool and you can do it without losing any control.
3: Call us at Lewis Financial Management if you have a farm, an appreciated asset, maybe some stock that you inherited, and you would like some advice on how you can sell it tax-free and provide income for you and your family during your lifetime. We at Lewis Financial Management are experts in this area of estate planning, and we can help you. Call us at Lewis Financial Management during the week. You can call us right now, 919-872-7000. We'll be happy to answer your questions regarding selling your
1: business. Bob, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening?
6: Well, I have a I have a neighbor that's uh, in in his uh, 90s, and he recently turned over the management of his uh, assets to his son, which I would suggest probably is somebody in their 60s, his former stockbroker, maybe with uh, um, James, Raymond James, or Merrill Lynch, or whatever, but he, he wants to pump up his uh, portfolio by trading options. And um, I, I just don't think that that's a smart idea. And I want to get your take on that.
1: Well, tell me a little bit about. Wait, let me see. Are we talking about yourself or about him? I need some numbers to know we're, what we're talking about. We're,
6: we're, we're talking about him.
1: All right. Well, tell me a little bit about. Uh, now, what's the size of his portfolio?
6: I really don't know this. I don't think it's. I think it's, it's modest at the mo, at the best. It's probably in the neighborhood of a quarter of a million dollars.
1: Yeah, that's like asking me if a gentleman walks into men's warehouse and say, do you think he really needs a suit or not? And I'm going to ask you, well, is he 300 pounds or 100 pounds? And if we say I don't know, we I don't have enough information to answer. I can give you some broad. Uh, 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 Let's do
2: that. Let's do I, some broad well, guidelines. I can tell
1: you what we do in our office. Yeah. Uh, We've been doing this for over 33 years. We have uh, uh, this is exactly what we do. We never use options. We never use options because options are not a, a planning tool. Options are a speculation tool. So and we're very much against speculation. Uh, now there's all the, and, and, and I'm very familiar with, with, with the covered calls and the naked calls as well as the 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 puts and the collars. those are strategies. Of speculation, but they are not planning tools. For example, uh, let's say that we have a client, and he and his wife are in their sixties, and they have combined income of maybe uh, $150,000, getting ready to go ahead and retire. Their living expenses are about maybe four or five thousand dollars a month, and their entire portfolio. Non-retirement might be about four hundred thousand, and all of their four hundred one ks might be together uh, six hundred thousand, and they want to know how do they plan to make sure that they will never outlive their money.
6: I, I think that I think that that's key, uh, and and you've and you've hit the nail on the head, which is something I hadn't thought of, which is that it's that it's not a planning
1: strategy. It's not a planning strategy at all. It's a vehicle. It's like uh so okay, so you made it on this one. So, you know, you got your you you got you you hit it just right on this particular option. Now, what do you do with the money? You go to the next one. And you go to the next one. And but you're not able to say you're not able to say I expect seven years from now, this will be the size of your portfolio and this is the income that will come out and your living expenses will be fully covered and the taxes are this. That's what we do. It's, uh, we're very much against risk. Now, I will say this. There's, uh, there are people out there who are also talking about uh, a fixed income coming to you, but they're really pushing a product called annuities, which again, we're, n- we're very much against annuities uh, because there you're giving up your principal. We like to talk about investments as chickens because chickens are an easy illustration. Chickens give off eggs. Eggs can be considered the income. Chickens can be considered your principal. And we like to say you should never kill your chickens. Just live off your eggs. And then, of course, as time goes on, you should have more chickens giving off more eggs. And in the design of the portfolios that we're doing, we always want to be able to put a future projection to see where you should be based upon those living expenses. So planning, from our view, begins absolutely at the personal level with what, Deborah, uh, with the expenses, with
2: the living expenses, the living what expenses, you, yeah, living expenses, right. Right. yeah. But,
3: and there's and there's basic principles, financial planning principles that you have to follow if you're an advisor. Um, you know, so it may be that, the you know, I don't know, these guys that they were working with, uh, they may be brokers or stockbrokers. Well, they are brokers. But, brokers. Right. you know, I think it's very prudent of you as uh, someone that cares about him because he's your neighbor and you care about him. Correct. And, and uh, he's, he's got long life genes. But if, God forbid, something happens and, you know, he goes to the drugstore and, and falls over and, and breaks his hip and then has to go in a nursing home, then how does he pay for that bill? You won't want him in options.
6: <laughs> well, that's that, That's what I was thinking, but I, I wasn't able really to articulate. Um,
1: why don't you have him? Why don't you have him go to our website? Our website is very illustrative. We just redid it after a lot of work, and we've got videos on there on our website. Go to Doug and Linda dot com.
6: Okay, I'll do that with him.
1: Yeah, and I think he might uh, he, he might uh, uh, get a little bit of help. Of course, if his son is a broker, then it's not going to matter one way or the other because his son has his own feelings. But on the other hand, at you least know, he can see what the financial planner's view is. Yeah. I, as I said, I think it's irresponsible. Well, thanks for your call, Bob. I appreciate it.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thinking
5: about your financial future? Have questions and need answers? Call Lewis Financial Management for a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis at 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000.
3: Doug, what else is new in the world of cash flow planning? Are there any disadvantages associated with paying off a mortgage early?
1: Yeah, that's a big question, especially as we uh, move towards the retirement years or the end of a certain period of our life. When deciding whether to pay off a mortgage early, Linda, a homeowner needs to consider his or her feelings about debt, also The potential to earn a higher rate of return if the money were deployed elsewhere. Also, tax savings associated with mortgage interest, future plans, and overall debt load. The disadvantages may stem from the financial trade-offs that a mortgage holder needs to make when paying off the mortgage. Now, paying it off typically requires a cash outlay, which is equal to the amount of the principal. If the principal is a sizable amount, then the payment could potentially jeopardize a middle-income family's ability to save for retirement or invest for college or maintain an emergency fund and take care of other financial needs.
2: So I guess there's a lot to consider. If you have financial means to pay off a mortgage, you probably need to consider the following. First, your feelings about debt. Mm -hmm. Some homeowners like the feeling of that security that comes from owning a home free and clear.
1: The other thing to consider, of course, is timeline. What is your timeline until retirement? Because your timeline until retirement may be a factor when making the decision. With 10 years or more remaining until you expect to retire, you could have time to build up a nest egg if you invest the money Formerly used to pay a mortgage.
2: Another thing, Doug, your tax savings. You really want to consider, is it worth losing that tax savings? <laughs> mortgage interest typically is tax deductible. And during the early years of a mortgage, when the interest payments are highest, many homeowners benefit from a sizable deduction. Isn't it true that some folks get a little uh,
3: maybe confused because they think, I want to be debt-free, and I, I don't want to have a mortgage. And it's, and they get, con- or at least they they don't have the, the foresight to see that that money that is going to pay the mortgage could be used for something else.
1: That's a very true statement, Linda, because they are looking for an absolute answer that fits all cases. You know, owe no money, be totally debt-free. And there's a... Uh, radio personality, and that's his whole pitch all the time. Well, in some cases, that's the worst thing for you because just as you said, that money could be deployed elsewhere, earning much more than taking it and just getting the mortgage gone from your house. But then there are other considerations exactly, and there is no one-size-fits-all. In some cases, it's absolutely right to have your mortgage paid off early. In other cases, it's the worst thing for you You also have to to talk about your future plans. You could potentially leave your existing residence with more home equity. That's possible if that matters to you.
2: That's right. You also need to consider your overall debt load. You know, this is going to be one of many things that you owe money on. So if you're carrying other forms of debt, such as credit card balances or a college loan, consider whether you could benefit from paying off other debt first before reducing or eliminating your mortgage. And, you know, there really is no right answer just for um, everyone when it comes to potentially paying off a mortgage. So if this is your consideration tonight, whether or not you should pay off your mortgage, give us a call, ask us your question. Now, Doug, do you would you like to give out, um, you know, what the general guideline in as far, as far as home mortgage deduction?
1: All right, we need to at least throw this into the consideration bag. There is the matter of the big benefit of the mortgage interest deduction, which you will give up if you pay it off early. And so this is definitely a factor to be put into the equation.
2: Well, there's lots to consider. Thinking about
5: your financial future, do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, Chris, this is
1: Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
6: Yeah, I have a question. I'm in the process of buying a house, and I'm trying to decide... What type of um, what type of term to go with? Uh-huh. And people have told me in the past that if you go with a 30-year loan, and if you make an extra payment towards the principal each year, that you would in turn almost pay it off in the same amount of time that you would on a 15-year loan. Uh-huh. Is any of this true or?
1: Well, it may be true, and it may be ir- it may be not true. But in either case, it's irrelevant. It's not part of the equation that you're concerned about. First of all, if you end up 15 years from now. With a house with no mortgage and the inability to buy any food to live in the house, would you be happy just having a house paid off and no groceries? No, of course not. Okay. So the goal isn't to see how fast you can have a house with no mortgage on it. The goal is to see how soon you can achieve what's called financial independence. How old are you, Chris? 33. 33 years old. Generally, a 30-year on uh, will give you a greater tax savings than a 15-year mortgage okay. because the percentage of your cha- of your payment to the bank is going to be bigger on the 30-year mortgage than on the 15-year mortgage. Okay. And that means that more of your payment will be refunded to you in the way of a deduction on Schedule A on your tax return, which basically means that you have more money to invest towards financial independence. Now, if a person doesn't choose to start investing, then they're out of this equation totally because it only works if you're going to be accumulating what you save. If you go ahead and take a 30-year loan, then you are stretching your payments 15 years longer, yes, but your goal should be to accumulate the difference that you're not paying in your, mor- in your mortgage payments, that money should be directed into an accumulation vehicle like a mutual fund. Okay. So that at the end of 15 years, and when we run these numbers in my office, we very often see because of the power of compound rate of return, at the end of 15 years of investments, you may be only halfway through your mortgage or maybe even less. But, for example, how much of the mortgage are you are going to take out?
0: The loan is 113
1: all right, so your goal should be at the end of 15 years to be able to have maybe 200 or 300000 accumulated, have your house still halfway through your mortgage, then you can write a check for the remainder on the mortgage. Let's say you have still 60000 left to pay on your mortgage. If you've got $250,000 accumulated, you write a check for $60,000, you pay off the mortgage and maybe you've got 170 or 180 or 190 left in cash plus you still have the home paid off. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh, sure do. That's the power of the compound rate of return because the 15-year mortgage will only go down at a simple rate of return. Okay. Uh also you will get a better tax relief along the way so at your age you want a 30-year amortization rather than a 15-year
6: well, I certainly
1: appreciate it. Jot down my office number. It's 872-7000. That's 919 872 And some people remember that as just USA 7000. All right, great. Thank, Thank you for calling. Great.
2: Thank you. So, Doug, Linda, we were talking about taxes, the taxes that might be due on inherited retirement accounts.
1: Yeah, because many people are now aware that we really don't have much of an estate tax problem at all. But most people are not aware of the fact that there is still one huge tax still looming and that is what we call the IRD tax the income on respective decedent tax and that is the tax that is due on retirement accounts that are inherited
2: That's right because let's not forget money set aside in an IRA or a 401k is untaxed income so it has to be taxed at some point. And let's say you um, leave or bequeath a stock in a regular taxable account, and if that has climbed in value, the cost of the investment for tax purposes automatically rises to its current value as of the death of the of the owner, This is step-up in cost basis, and this means that the potential capital gains tax bill can disappear, so Let, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's great,
1: but let's be clear what you just said, Deborah, because our listeners may not understand. That is wonderful. What that says is if you bought a stock for $100,000 or a mutual fund for $100,000 years ago, and it grew to be a million dollars, and you die today, your heirs can sell it tax-free the next day because... The cost that you paid for a hundred a hundred thousand is now considered a million dollar cost and a million dollar sale price leaves zero gain and zero tax. That is what's happening, and that's the step up in basis. But that's only if it wasn't inside a retirement account. So, if you die owning re- traditional retirement accounts mm-hmm. like four hundred one ks and iras, then the income taxes are still. Going to have to be paid by your heirs. Okay. There is no step up in basis.
2: Well, uh, right now, after you die, your IRAs beneficiaries can draw down the account slowly over their t- that their lifetime. That's that stretch IRA option. But if the stretch IRA disappears, your heirs may be forced to empty inherited retirement accounts within five years of your death. And the extra income could push them into, and probably would, a much higher tax bracket. And for the typical household that's approaching retirement age,
3: retirement accounts are generally the second largest asset that they own after their home.
1: I'm realizing more and more these years that the our clients who... Uh, we talk about the middle-class millionaire. Mm-hmm. They've worked hard. They've mm-hmm. accumulated through their life. And on paper, they are worth over a million dollars. And yes, their home is a big piece of it. But I'm surprised to see how many hardworking Americans have accumulated in their 401k, seven hundred thousand 700,000 dollars. So, Doug, what should we do? Well, there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, you could uh, just, you could do, you could ignore the traditional advice for retirees, which says tap out your your uh, taxable accounts first and leave your retirement accounts to to grow tax deferred, and 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 go that way. Now I say that's the typical thought out there. It's not what we practice at Lewis Financial Management. Okay. So, so instead, that's one, yeah. So uh-huh. all right. So instead, you go you'd go the other way. You'd say, well, let's get it out. Let's start drawing it out, drawing it out from the, uh, from the uh, my IRA and moving it over into my personal portfolio so that it will have step up in basis.
2: Right. So even if I didn't need to use it to live off of and it was a part of my, uh, withdrawals, my withdrawal system, I could have it even reinvested in my personal port- portfolio and then my heir would inherit it at step up in basis.
1: That's exactly right. Now, that's one possibility. Another possibility, which I'm not in favor of, but which people are talking about when they're looking at this problem that's that's looming, uh, is to move towards Roth IRAs. I don't think that's a wise decision because that means I'm paying the taxes now. And another way that people are talking about it is, well, maybe we should get some insurance. Okay. Maybe we should buy life insurance that will go cover ahead cover the taxes. Cover that tax, that IRD tax that's going to be happening to my children when they get this million dollar a retirement account that I have accumulated and they're going to have to pay $300,000 in taxes. Maybe I should get $300,000 of life insurance. Okay. Now,
2: a- yeah, Doug, well, we have recently had a case. Yes. That where we used a different technique altogether. Tell us about that. What else is possible?
1: I really like talking about this because this one is quite unique. If the stretch IRA disappears, it could make sense to... To leave your IRA not to your children, we're assuming your spouse is gone now, Mm -hmm. leave it to a charitable remainder trust for the benefit Mm -hmm. of your children. And that's what you're talking about, Deborah. We have done that because now technically you're leaving it to a charity and the charity pays no tax. So you
3: keep it intact inside the CRT. That's right. And then there are no taxes paid. Only as it comes out, right? Only as the income comes out to your beneficiaries that's, that's exactly right your kids
1: and, and part of that is going to be non-taxable. and part of that's going to be taxable. As with the stretch IRA, the trust then lets your heirs enjoy lifetime withdrawals from the IRA
3: very creative. Now, I, yeah. these are definitely strategies that we would use only if we look at the total picture. Isn't that right? Sure. It we has to make com- sense. You know, each case is, is different from the other. Um, so but- what we do is comprehensive financial planning. That's right. And in some cases, for some clients, we produce a financial plan. That's right. I remember when you wrote your first financial plan, the Benny <laughs> and the Barney Rubble. <laughs> financial plan and the Flintstones.
1: <laughs> Let me see, I think, what year was that? That must have been
2: 1980. 83, <laughs> 84. Right, right, right. Well, you know, even, uh, you know, you know, 33 years later, we're still getting calls about, um, about questions on what to do when, when we have life changes. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at
5: 919-872-7000. That's 919 919-
1: USA, 7,000. Karen, are you there? This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. Are you on hold?
7: Yes, I am.
1: How can we help you, Karen?
7: I have uh, one of my uh, portfolios with Vanguard, and uh, I'm going to be 90, and I live off my, uh, you know, finance, uh, my portfolios. And uh, I have a portfolio with them, which is Wellesley, uh, Intermediate Corporate, and High Yield Corporate, and there's 135,000. In those three, with the Wellesley the highest amount in it, um, about sixty-seven thousand in Wellesley, and the rest is intermediate, corporate, and high yield. And um, <clears throat> I was just concerned what your opinion would be.
1: Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. You say you're ninety years old, Karen.
7: I'm going to be in August.
1: And what is the entire <laughs> <Congratulations>. size? <Yeah, laughs> the The entire size of your. Uh, of all of your portfolio, you said this is one part of it. Yeah.
7: Well, I, I have different portfolios. All right.
1: So what are the, what's the total of all of your portfolios, first of all, uh, outside of IRAs? I
7: would say about uh,
1: about $300,000. right. So it's about 300000 total. And is all of it outside of IRAs? Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Why do you have these funds? That's the first question I would ask you.
7: I have these funds because I I live on my... uh,
1: But I mean, why did you select these funds versus another fund?
7: Well, I I researched them and listened to you, and I listened to a lot of financial programs, and I came to this decision.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, I, what I would say is, Karen. First of all, we cannot, as, as you, if you, if you're a long time listener, you know, we never talk about a specific fund on oh, the air, yes. right? Oh, but yeah. I, but and, and and that's because of regulatory. Surely. If you call my office, though, all I right. will definitely go ahead. And uh, give you specific opinion and research on each of the funds that all you're mentioning. Right. The, the right. phone number at the office is 7000 nine eight seven
7: two eight
1: seven two seven thousand
7: seven thousand.
1: I'll do now. But before you get off the air, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to cheat you uh, <laughs> of, of any advice I can tell you. Uh-huh. All right. First of all, Vanguard is a family of mutual funds, which yes. is uh, traditionally passively. Uh, it's th- their, their philosophy is passive versus active. Yes. And, of course, you may have tuned in late. Earlier in the show this evening, we were talking about how we favor active management. Yes, I heard you. Right. And so... Uh, that's the first thing to let you know is that we do favor active management versus versus passive. But everything is designed starting with the client themselves. And I would love to go through all of you. You know what your expenses are, what your living uh-huh. expenses, and to be able to work backwards to see if I think this is the best place or should you be in a better arrangement, a better allocation. Fine
7: fine i will give you a call uh comes the first part of the week thank Sounds you great. so much for good calling. good
2: we will definitely go through the specifics then karen all right all right thank you. thank you for calling and thanks for being a long-time listener you've
0: been listening to
2: money matters
0: with doug linda and deborah lewis money matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters for more information you can call doug linda or deborah in Raleigh at 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.